Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. While the science aligns on what's healthy for a baby's brain development, when it comes to how to care for our babies, there's a seemingly endless supply of competing perspectives. Parents are swimming in advice on sleep, feeding, and parenting philosophies. In this season of the podcast, we aim to provide a variety of curated perspectives so you can make informed choices for your family. From day one, your baby's microbiome is laying the foundation for a healthy immune system. Some people even say the immune system is like the body's second brain. Probiotics may have a role in keeping that system healthy, but are they helpful for babies? And how about when you're pregnant? Today's guest on the show has answers. Her new book, publishing in September, is called The Baby and the Biome. Minol Lele is also the founder of Little Mixins. Welcome, Minol. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I read somewhere that babies are sterile before birth, so they don't they don't really have a a microbiome yet when they're in utero, when do babies pick up their first dose of bacteria? Am I right about this? It's not totally clear, actually, right? It's one of those things that's really hard to study because if you tried to sample, you can't really sample very well a baby inside uh, in utero. But And then every time we try to, if we, you know, we try and sample the amniotic fluid or something, we're always going to be pulling bacteria from the air and other things onto that sample. And so it's really hard to tell but the basic idea is, yeah, it's a sterile environment. And, and that's mostly because if you think about it, the, your inside organs, right, they're sterile. Like we don't have, you don't have bacteria on your kidney because it's inside your body. You do have bacteria on your skin because that's outside your body, right? At the same time, there is a ton of bacteria in the urogenital tract and in the vagina, right? So then a baby in that sense is still somewhat interacting with the mom's bacteria because that bacteria that's in the vaginal tract can get up the uterus basically and, and affect how the baby's developing in utero. So, so it's kind of complicated, <laughs> but for the, the right way to think of it is I believe is that the, the baby is kept somewhat sterile and yet they're still being influenced by the mom's bacteria. That's so interesting. And then what about the process of birth, whether it's C-section or vaginal birth, what happens with this bacterial environment at birth for the baby? When, you, when you're born, you're immediately exposed to your mom's bacteria. And if you think about it, um, you know, the, the vagina sort of like expands in like, uh, like a glove, right? Like it completely covers the baby as it's on its way out. And so the baby's getting completely smushed, right? In their mother's bacteria. And in fact, it's, they say it's on purpose that the babies are born facing backwards and that most women defecate a little bit during, while they're pushing and the baby's supposed to eat a little bit. It's like a, it's a true fecal transplant and that seeds, that's what's supposed to seed their gut. Their very first gut seeding is from directly from the mother. Right. And but then when you're born by C-section, you have to keep a C-section very, very sterile because now we're cutting inside. Again, we're not supposed to have bacteria on the inside organs. And so they give you a ton of antibiotics for good reason, and you should get them. And they keep that 
the operational theater sterile. And so then the first bacteria baby's exposed to are the air bacteria that end up on the surgeon's gloves. And the bacteria that are naturally on the clean blanket that's put down, you know, on the table where they lay the baby down immediately and things like that, right? That's the baby's first exposure to bacteria. It's a completely different set. Your vaginal bacteria are not the same bacteria that's in the air. And so it's very clear that when babies are born in different ways, their first moments bacteria are totally, totally different. That obviously has an influence. And yet, again, every every interaction a baby has from that moment on will keep shifting their microbiome. So it's not the last thing. It's not the only only word in this either. This is so fascinating. <laughs> I, I guess my question is, is what can we do? I've heard about uh, people who have C-sections in doing what they can do to replicate this bacteria that, that's introduced during a vaginal birth. I've heard about swabbing. Can you talk to this mm-hmm. a little bit in more detail? Yeah, it's interesting. The the NHS uh, in the UK, they actually give guidance to mothers on how to do this. And there are a couple studies going on right now in the US about could we create guidance around this too. But basically involves you get sterile gauze. And if you're going to have a C-section, you basically shove it into the vagina and let it get like soak up all the vaginal fluids during birth. And, or, or maybe not during birth, I actually think if you take it out before the C-section and you keep it in a sterile um, or just a clean Ziploc bag will do kind of thing. And then right after the baby's born, you basically swab them with it. So you swab their skin with those vaginal fluids. You can actually swab kind of their, their lips and their nose um, in the exact same way that the baby would kind of scrape all that stuff up. You can, to some extent, you can replicate it. So interesting. And then what about giving your baby a bath? So I I think I knew some of this when I had my babies and I had this intuition that maybe bathing them right away or the, is there any benefit to letting them sort of stay a little dirty for those first few days? There is more than a little benefit to letting them stay dirty. And I have this very visceral memory of my first, my older son. And I'm, and I, when I say this, I want to be clear, I'm not uh, I'm not speaking ill of any of the folks at the hospital that we he was born in. They, everyone was lovely to us and was doing their absolute best. But I just remember washing, watching them wash him and, you know, kind of like really scrub him and just thinking at the time, like, oh, that seems like unnecessary. He hasn't been doing much. But actually in the UK and a lot of Europe, you just don't bathe babies for two weeks. They have, they're born with this uh, vernix caseosa, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and you just let it slowly absorb. And that's it. it. It's like this goopy white stuff. And then it it slowly absorbs into the skin. But it's almost like, um, imagine putting a thick layer of Vaseline on them or something when the moment they're born and then letting that just kind of ride. And that's really, that that keeps their skin from losing water and from getting bacterial infections in those first critical couple weeks. And so, yeah, there's really no reason to wash them for a really long time. So post-birth, let's talk about post-birth. So let's say you had a C-section. What are the significant sources of good bacteria for your baby to build their microbiome? Is it skin on skin? Is it formula, breast milk? How do they get uh, inoculated? The bigger thing after they're born, the bigger thing to worry about is really their gut bacteria. And that is about making sure that they're getting um, the right inputs and not as many negative inputs as possible. So what are the right inputs? Like you said, breast milk. If you're giving them formula, I think a probiotic supplementation can be really helpful, even if they're drinking breast milk, unfortunately today, because of our, just our, our moms, like those of us who are breastfeeding are 
was a few years ago, the breast milk we're giving our babies is fundamentally different than it was maybe even a generation ago. So a probiotic supplementation could be useful. And, and we can talk specifically because it's not, you know, that's like saying take vitamins, which is not particularly useful advice. It matters which probiotics, uh, which bacteria. So you definitely want your baby to be drinking breast milk or formula, getting in there, you know, uh, getting that stuff in their diet. The big thing really to think about in those first six months, though, I say it would say is the opposite, which is try to limit their exposure to antibiotics. And now I don't mean to be very clear, antibiotics should be used when they are necessary. The key is to try and prevent the need for the antibiotics. So to the extent that you are not smoking in the house, something that causes ear infections, you're feeding your baby their bottle lying down on their back, that can cause the milk to wash back up and again, cause an ear infection. Even for most ear infections you get, the baby gets, is re really about talking to the doctor and saying, hey, is this one that would just maybe go away on its own? And could we try giving it a couple days and not using the antibiotics? Those sorts of things are actually more protective of the baby's microbiome than anything, is you know not wiping it out. First of all, I have a couple double-click questions on this. One is what kind of probiotics do you recommend for, you know, for mixing into formula or how would you mix that into an infant's diet if you're breastfeeding and not pumping? Um, so that's my first question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so which probiotics make sense in, in early infancy? So there's two that have good data. B. infantis. B. infantis is a bacteria that has been proven to help a lot of babies um, in in early infancy. And so that specific strain for babies, you can look for, they sell it. And for a baby who is breastfeeding, it doesn't take a lot. So it can be like a couple drops that are just like you give them vitamin D, you put it, you can put like a couple drops on the nipple and then the baby can drink it. Actually, you can just kind of squeeze it into their mouth from the dropper. Or if they're formula feeding, you can put it in a bottle. The other bacteria that has actual clinical data behind it is L. rhamnosus. Now L. rhamnosus when taken in the by mother in the last trimester of her pregnancy and then by mom and or baby during the first six months has been shown to cut the risk of eczema by up to 50%. So wow. those are the only two that really have good clinical data behind them. That doesn't mean those are the only useful ones. You know, we can only answer these questions kind of one clinical study at a time. That's great. So you're saying that when you're pregnant, you should take l rhamnosus and there's, you know, in some kind of probiotic, especially in the last trimester. And then when you're breastfeeding, take these probiotics yourself, it will transfer into your breast milk? Yes, it transfers into the breast milk and um, babies can take it too. Actually, they found some of the strongest effect when both mom and baby were taking it, but either one taking it is also uh, quite helpful. Great. And so you can drop it in their mouths as, as newborns and it's safe. And then, uh, and then as they grow, so they start, let's imagine that they're starting to eat solid foods. What should we continue to do as far as supplementing with, with probiotics? After a baby has started solid foods, uh, there's less data around how much probiotics help. And I think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that it's a lot harder to study the benefits of probiotics once someone's eating. Your food really, really changes the makeup of your gut bacteria, and it influences it quickly. So one of my favorite studies, and this is a bit of a side note, <laughs> one of my favorite studies showed that when you had immigrants move from another country like Laos and come to the U.S., their gut bacteria had 
almost completely switched over and was like an American gut within two weeks of arriving here. And that's how rapidly, you know, food can affect your gut bacteria. So once a baby's eating solid foods, a lot of what's the makeup of their gut is just going to be controlled by, are they eating a lot of vegetables and fruits and high fiber foods, right? That's, that's, that's it. So what does a probiotic help, I think is a harder question again, because it's going to be harder to show the benefit. You're going to, it's going to have less influence by nature. When a baby's just on breast milk or just formula feeding, then it's easier. It's such a, it's such a pure food that it's easier to see the benefit of a probiotic. And so there isn't great data after that point. So I will say that after the six month time period, I don't, I don't know the clinical literature nearly as well. And I, I wouldn't feel comfortable making any recommendations there. And if we, we talked about the benefits of probiotics and supplementation for eczema, what else, what are the other benefits? Why should somebody bother? Probiotics have only, this is really interesting. So with l they actually did a lot of clinical studies trying to understand if they could you know, prevent a whole host of different diseases. And the only one that really showed up was eczema, specifically atopic dermatitis. That over and over, you could see the same benefit. And, and they're not really sure why you don't get the benefit for, let's call it, uh, you know, wheeze or asthma or food allergy. Um, I think there's there's just a bajillion <laughs> different bacteria out there. So we've just not even scratched the surface of other ones we could be studying. And so I'm sure there are other ones out there, but we just don't really have them today. The for when it comes to food allergy prevention, we know that early allergen introduction is very protective, like up to 97% protective in some cases against food allergy. When it comes to asthma, for example, a lot of that has to do with not using it or, you know, the fewer antibiotic insults a baby has had, the better, the lower the risk of asthma and, and their exposure to air pollution. You know, the less air pollution they're exposed to, the lower the risks for asthma. So and once you get past those earlier stages, as I'm saying, it's it's the more and more influences on a baby, the harder it gets to control them. And that's why those first six months can be so critical because they're just doing so few things and you actually have a lot of control over each one. And so what would you do if you had a baby right now knowing all that you know? Yeah, the if I now knowing everything I know, I mean, I would I would take those probiotics, for example, in pregnancy, right? I used to think probiotics were utter garbage. And that doesn't mean people can't be selling you completely useless probiotics. It just means that well, there turns out to be data there where I thought there wasn't. So I would take those probiotics in pregnancy because it's there's no risk to you as a you know as a pregnant mother and to the baby. And if you get a fifty percent cut in eczema, that's awesome. I would definitely leave my baby alone. I think one of the few things we did right with my older son was use cloth diapers. Um, and the big reasons for cloth diapers is actually because they have far fewer chemicals on them. If you're using a pure cotton cloth diaper, you're not covering their urogenital tract area with a bunch of chemicals. But we were using a lot of the mainstream soaps in our house. And it turns out most of, a lot of chemicals that are in products, we now know are actually very disruptive to not only the adult skin, but then 10 times so, you know, for baby skin. We now buy all kind of crunchy cleaning products, or we just try and use vinegar and as just as few chemicals as we can in the house, because I sort of was always under the impression that, Hey, this stuff has been studied. It's been great, but it's, they haven't been, they just sort of, they've been studied in the very, very obvious case. Like if you put this on your skin, will you die? And the answer is no. Right. But the, 
there's so many second and third order effects to the chemicals we're exposed to that are really, really hard to study. And I get that. But so then those studies haven't been done. And so I, I actually think what they call the precautionary principle, right? I don't think that you should go, you have to go completely overboard in terms of being safe, but there are a lot of things that you can say, is at this moment in my life, do I need to be exposed to this? Do I need to do it this way? And if the answer is no, then you can just make that choice not to. Introducing solid foods in a way that's safe, promotes self-feeding, and delivers the best nutrients can be hard to do. It's so much easier with expert advice, a plan, and a printed guide to get everyone on the same page. The Food Before One Course Pack gives you everything you need to tap into the benefits of baby-led weaning, starting with purees. Set your child up for lifelong healthy eating habits and have fun doing it. Visit loveeveryday.com today to start the Food Before One course pack and see all the course packs we offer. I mean, it is feels intimidating, but then when you can start kind of going through one by one and, and just kind of downgrading or just going a little bit more natural in skincare and in home care, it's not an endless, they're not endless categories to take on. So is this related to how the human microbiomes have lost microbial diversity? Is this why? Because we have cleaning products and we have chemicals in our skincare. You know, heard that Western microbiomes in humans consist of 15 to 30% fewer species than non-Western microbiomes. Like what's going on here with our diet, with our environment? Can you talk to this a little bit? Yeah, I don't know that I know the answer to that. What I can say is there's a few things that can be affecting and you hit on them. So our pollution, that can, pollution can, you know, kill your microbiome. It can kill certain bacterial strains. So that could be a cause of it. Two is our diet. Our diets are significantly more restricted than they have historically been. So typically you wouldn't have, you would eat a lot of different kinds of foods. Um, you definitely wouldn't eat nearly as much sugar as we eat today. And sugar can actually be really toxic to certain kinds of bacteria and then promote other kinds of bacteria. But we need the first kind, right, to, to help us survive. So if we're eating too much sugar, we're actually helping bacteria we don't need and can actively hurt us thrive. And then our, you know, our diets in terms of how refined the foods are and things like that, again, they bias for bacteria that we don't want or that we aren't evolved to work with. And I, I use this example of, I think maybe even say this in the book, right? There's always this idea that we want to talk about bacteria as good and bad. Like as even I, even throughout this small chat, right? I've probably said good bacteria, bad bacteria like 50 times, but that's not, that's not necessarily a useful way to think of it because there are just bacteria that we've, that our bodies and our genetics have come to be comfortable working with and be symbiotic with and other ones that we don't know how to work with. And so we just have to bias for the ones that we know how to work with because that's just part of who we are truly. So there's the pollution, there's the diet. And then honestly, the last big thing is the antibiotics. Martin Blazer, Dr. Martin Blazer wrote a book called Missing Microbes that really opened my mind to this a bunch of years ago. But yeah, we, we consume antibiotics at a rate that you would have no you would never believe. If I remember correctly, by the age of 30, the average American has had something close to 30 doses or 30 courses of antibiotics. Like it's crazy. And that's not even counting the antibiotics that we eat on a daily basis 
that are because they're just in your meats and in the milk, right? So I would say probably the our antibiotic overusage is uh, is the single biggest issue that we face. And in Sweden, I believe they did a concerted effort to try and reduce the number of courses of antibiotics people were getting. And they were able to cut out 75% of them. So like three out of four courses of antibiotics humans get are unnecessary. Wow. And that, yeah, that's, so that's, I, I actually, my guess is that that's probably the single biggest issue. Well, just to normalize things for everyone here. I just started a course of antibiotics yesterday for bladder infection. It was kind of urgent. I tried the DIY <laughs> for a couple of days. It wasn't working. Just want everybody to feel good. And I had chocolate for breakfast. So I have a lot to learn, <laughs> a lot to improve on. We're all, you know, kind of on a path. To that point is, again, I just want to be really, really clear that stopping unnecessary use of antibiotics does not mean that you shouldn't take the necessary ones. If you had an infection that could have killed you, right? Don't forget that through most of human history, we had a much shorter lifespan also. So trade-offs, and you should take, you should clear the infections you have with antibiotics. But the problem is we take a lot of antibiotics we don't need. Like I said, there's no reason for the antibiotics in our meat or in our dairy. And a lot of us rush to take antibiotics when we when we actually have a virus and it wouldn't help anyway right so it's that's what they found in sweden is 75% were unnecessary meaning the antibiotics didn't do anything positive either but when you're sick and you have a bacterial infection you got to take the antibiotics you can't you can't risk the death that can come on the other side yeah well thank you my mom's my mom's voice was in my ear when <laughs> Uh, when I was when I was kind of prolonging this infection, uh, it has been fascinating talking to you today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's really awesome to chat with you. Here are some of my takeaways from the conversation with Menal. Takeaway number one: the bacteria that lives in the mother's birth canal plays a role in seeding the baby's gut. Babies born by C-section can be swabbed in the same fluids to achieve a similar exposure to bacteria. The NHS in the UK actually gives guidance to mothers on how to do this. Takeaway number two, the white coating that covers newborn babies is the vernix caesosa and helps to protect the baby's skin during those first few days outside of the womb. There's no need to wash off this protective coating from your newborn. It will eventually be absorbed. In the UK and much of Europe, the recommendation is to wait two weeks before bathing a newborn. Takeaway number three. In early infancy, the focus should be about getting the right inputs. You might consider supplementing breast milk and formula with a probiotic. Menal recommends taking L-rhamnosus during pregnancy and giving it to the baby after birth. B. Infantis is the other probiotic that has been proven to help babies in early infancy. Takeaway number four. Once a baby is eating solid foods, the makeup of their gut is going to be most influenced by the fruits and vegetables and other high-fiber foods they are consuming. There isn't great data to suggest that probiotics do much after the six-month mark. Takeaway number five, check the chemicals in the soaps and other products you are using while pregnant and on your baby. Some can disrupt healthy bacterial growth. Pollution, diet, and antibiotics are three areas to examine when trying to enhance our own microbiome and that of our children. Learn about how your baby's brain is developing during those first thousand days on the Love Every blog at loveevery.com. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, 
please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening.